Welcome to the One Bite Vegan Food for Thought Summit, a series of 15 podcasts that present different aspects of a vegan lifestyle from some of the most prominent thought leaders in veganism. Perhaps you want to learn how to be a better advocate for animals. Maybe you want to feel confident about raising your family on a plant-based diet. Proudly sponsored by VegFund, the One Bite Vegan Food for Thought Summit's for you. Hello and welcome to the One Bite Vegan Food for Thought Summit. I'm your host, Emma Leticia. And in this episode, we're talking to vegan world record holding marathon runner and farmed animal sanctuary co-founder Fiona Oates. Fiona is a British distance runner who holds four world records for marathon running. In 2013, she won both the Antarctic Ice Marathon and the North Pole Marathon. Fiona started Tower Hill Stables Animal Sanctuary in 1993 with the aim of providing love, care, and a forever home to previously unwanted or rescued animals, both domestic and ex-farm. The sanctuary operates from Fiona's home as well as five satellite sites and provides a home to around 450 animals. And we're going to talk to Fiona today about being a vegan athlete, using your talents to promote veganism and Fiona's work at Tower Hill Stables. Hi, Fiona. I'm so excited to talk to you. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for asking me. It's a real pleasure. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic to finally get the opportunity to talk to you because I've been watching what you've been doing over the past few years. I think I first became aware of your work when I was over at VegFest London a few years ago. And I think you were doing something on a on a bike. Yeah, I might have been doing something on a bike. I've done lots of things on the bike. Before I took to marathon running, that's what I used to do with things on a bike. Yeah, I mean, uh, VegFest has, you know, always been very kind and invited to speak and, you know, try to spread the message. But um, mainly now I do things promoting kind of veganism through my running or, or my hopping as I call it because uh, I've got this uh, bad knee injury which <laughs> it doesn't assist me with my running let's put it like that but um, yeah I've been running now for almost 20 years actually so um, yeah in my endeavours to promote veganism in a positive way. Yeah cool now let's go back a little bit and talk about how you became vegan so you became vegan at the age of six due to your love of animals is what I've read and this was when the rest of your family weren't vegan. Was there any one event that acted as a catalyst for this? No, uh, to be honest with you, absolutely not. I mean, I went vegetarian when I was three. Simple equation, love animals, know what meat is, don't want to harm animals, don't want to harm my family, don't want to harm those I love. I started to ask my mum more questions and by six years old, I was totally vegan. It wasn't something that I suddenly declared, oh, mommy, I want to go vegan. I wasn't some super intelligent child. I'd never probably heard the word vegan, didn't understand what it was. I just knew the principle. And I always say it wasn't a decision. I don't think you can probably make decisions at that age. It was a reaction, a reaction to violence and exploitation of uh, other sentient beings. That's all it was. Uh, my family were not some sort of kind of bohemian kind of ethic that, that, you know, I mean, my dad was a miner, a striking miner, come from a small town in, uh, in Derbyshire. And mother, mother was a nurse and they weren't vegetarian or vegan and didn't go vegetarian or vegan for quite some time afterwards. And my mom actually received a lot of resistance from my family to allowing me to be vegan at that age. This is where I always point out how important role models are. I don't, in essence, feel that comfortable speaking, uh, public speaking, but I feel people have said it's quite important that you do because you might be able to offer guidance and help to others who are in a similar situation. And at that time, my mom was actually um, 
a very, very good pianist. She wasn't quite good enough to be actually be kind of virtuoso or concert level. But before she went nursing, she was a music teacher. And her music teacher at grammar school back in the 1950s was a vegan lady who actually knew Donald Watson, who started the Vegan Society in the UK. So she kept in contact with this lady and she was able to articulate to my mom in adult terms what I was thinking and feeling as a child. So she was a real role model and help. And I don't know that without her, we would or I would have found it such a smooth path for me. My mum made it as positive as she could, but my grandparents and my father and my sister were quite resistant. And as I said, I do have an injury which I acquired. It's actually um, a condition and nothing to do with being vegan, which led to a lot of surgeries in my teenage years. And I was in and out of hospital a lot. And this is back in the early 1980s. And at that time, my mum was accused of child abuse for allowing me to be vegan. And veganism was actually associated or aligned to an eating disorder. It was that an unpopular ethic. So it wasn't easy for us. But for me, it's always been very easy to be vegan. And even today, food isn't the first thing I think about when I think about being vegan. So obviously, when I, you know, back in the 1970s, there weren't the products available. I mean, there just weren't. I mean, no matter where you lived, I mean, we lived lived in a kind of small town, but even if you'd have lived in London, there weren't the products available that there are now. And so I still pretty much have the same basic diet that I had then. I don't buy the um, kind of exotic products that I call them, you know, the ice creams and the kind of um, products that are there to actually wean people away from meat and dairy because I've never had it. And I don't buy fake meats either because it's something that I wouldn't even want to acknowledge myself personally that this stuff tasted nice and I needed to wean myself off it because I've never had it. So it's a very, very basic diet that I've still got today. And also it addresses also the issues of um, kind of veganism being very expensive and elitist because at the time, um, back in the 80s, my dad was actually on strike for a lot of that time. So we were very, very limited with our financial budget. And um, it's not that hard to be vegan if you really believe in what, why, the reason behind why you're vegan. It's very, very simple. That's basically, people are kind of shocked when they know that you weren't vegan when you're six. That's a bit extreme, isn't it? And I think, well, what child would not be vegan if they didn't know the truth? So if they really knew what happened to Peppa Pig and, you know, she didn't live with her family happily in a little house and visit Mrs. Bunny, if they really knew what happened to pigs, what child wouldn't be vegan? We love mm. them. We love animals. And, and in essence, animals are one of the great key tools to advertise them, we used a lot in advertising. So we play on the human's love of animals or certainly an adult's love of certain animals like dogs and cats. And then we exploit them horribly in other directions behind closed doors. And it's really, really disconnected, quite remarkable. But children tend to love all animals. So given the opportunity, I think most kids would be vegan. Yeah, I completely agree. I've got a 15-month-old daughter and I know she just adores the animals that we have. And we've got non-vegan friends who feed their children animal products and they teach them to love animals. But on the same hand, they won't tell their children where meat and dairy comes from. So it's uh, yeah, it's difficult. Well, let's talk about your running I think I read somewhere that you don't even particularly like running that much, but you do it because it's a platform to raise awareness about animal rights and veganism. Is that true? Yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, basically, people say, okay, let's go through this. And I honestly say that through my life, it's just been one mad rush to try and do what I can. I've never really thought. There's never been any great business plan or structure to it because veganism now has become a very common word. People know what it is, but people who have not been invested in this lifestyle 
for that long. Forget that even a few years ago, nobody had really heard of veganism or what a vegan was or what it meant. So my life has been kind of grabbing and being creative and grabbing opportunities when and where I can. So after starting the sanctuary and be able to rescue animals, it suddenly hit me. I'm going to, like, I can rescue 40, 400 animals, 4,000 animals, but I'm not actually getting to the cause of why they need rescue in the first place. I'm addressing the symptoms always, but never as a cause. And I thought, well, hang on a minute. I've been, like, vegan for many, many, many years. I've grown up vegan. I know I'm fit, healthy, and strong. We need to encourage people to adopt the same lifestyle and this ethical lifestyle to stop people eating meat and dairy products. That was the goal. So I thought, well, what can I do to do that? And this is before social media. Very much stressed that to people. Before a time when you could just like Instagram things and Facebook things, the only real outlet, kind of collective outlet you, voice you could have was through mainstream media. So you needed to do something either really good or really bad to get in the mainstream. So I'm not a person to do anything bad. So I thought, oh, well, you know, I'm good at sport. Come from a cycling background. Took to cycling because I was told as a teenager that I wouldn't be able to walk properly, let alone ever run again. So I took to cycling, which was low impact. But at the time in the UK, the one sport that was getting a lot of attention, bearing in mind this is the early noughties, and I'm a female, so female sport never tends to get kind of the media attention that male sport does. It was marathon running because Paula Radcliffe was doing really, really well in marathon running. So I figured, you know, okay, and this was billed as the most extreme endurance event that anyone could tackle. Indeed, women were only allowed to run the marathon in the Olympics in 1984. It was considered too challenging an event for women at that level up until 1984. So I kind of thinking to myself, okay, if I can just complete a marathon, i.e. get round one, it's got to show that you can do anything as a vegan, you know, long-term vegan. And that's where the idea came from to run marathons. I realized after a while that it was a pretty tough event and I was going to have to invest a lot of time in it to actually get to the goal that I wanted to achieve. And I thought, but I'm winning races, shorter distance races. And people are sort of asking me not so much about the veganism because it was difficult to promote veganism before the vegan running club, before we started vegan runners. But they were asking me about, well, what do you do for a living? I I don't do it for a living, but I was able to mention the animal sanctuary. So I figured actually it's a two prong thing. I can raise awareness for the sanctuary and for my lifestyle. And it was only back in 2004 when I really started to get very, very good results. And I got started to get invited to big races on elite starts to the major marathons in the world. So you were going to be starting with a handful of like, top runners, Kenyans, Ethiopians, 45 minutes ahead of the main field as in the London Marathon, that we decided we were going to start Vegan Runners, which is now the biggest running club in the UK by our membership. And it was just an, a magic opportunity to actually basically run through the streets of London or big city races, New York or Chicago, out of the front pack with this word that nobody had ever heard of emblazoned across your chest, vegan. It was just a big, massive shout out for veganism. And actually, I think it's probably, and I always say this, the most effective form of accidental activism there has ever been. At the time, I was pretty much the only active vegan runner. So my goal was actually be out the front where everyone can see you because you're the only vegan in the village kind of thing. But now we can mass take over races pretty much everywhere you go on the planet. You're going to see a vegan runner or you're going to know someone who knows a vegan runner. So um, it's a really, really good opportunity to actually strike up non-confrontational conversation with people who are actually actively interested in how you power yourself 
for sport, especially if you're winning races, they really come to you and say, hey, how do you do it? Well, I say, well, look at the jersey, look at the vest, that's how I do it. And so it's been pretty monumental. But I, I wouldn't say I don't enjoy running. I do enjoy the fact that I can run. I feel very blessed. So, well, I don't, I've not got a great style to my running because I do limp when I run. But I enjoy the fact I can be out there because so many people, for whatever reason, can't be. But it's pretty tough when you're constantly hitting goals in training sessions and you know that, you know, oh, you're worn out and you've got to train and you've got to think about tomorrow's training. And, you know, you're hitting these really hard, intense 10-week cycles where kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't but yeah it's not the thing I would probably choose to do for recreation let's put it like that but I hobble and hop around and I hope I've done it quite effectively for the animals that's always been my goal it's never been something that I particularly wanted to do for myself I've never been particularly pleased with any run I've ever done I've always thought I could have done a bit better I could have done a bit more but yeah it's what I do for the animals it's my kind of activism because obviously I can't physically go out all the time and march and and demonstrate and engage in conversations on high streets can't do that kind of activism but it's been something that I've been able to do for the animals in a kind of in the style that I know how to do things I probably come from a generation whereby actions had to speak louder than words because there wasn't a forum or an opportunity to get your words heard that's all about my running (laughs) yeah no that's fantastic it's very inspiring and I think it helps people to think outside of the box and use their own kind of passions or talents to help promote veganism and we'll talk about that in a a little bit down in the interview a bit more but I just want to focus now I know that you said that food isn't that important to you but what about have you noticed anything about the plant-based diet and how it benefit your athletic performance because some I guess it's a bit more difficult for you because you've never been an athlete on a non-vegan diet but some other athletes I've heard speak before they say that their recovery times are better that they find especially endurance um, races a lot easier what are some other benefits that you're aware of well for me I mean okay I've been running like marathons now for almost 20 years I've never had a running injury I've never had a running injury. I have had injuries which have affected my running. For instance, when I went to Marathon de Sable in 2012, one of the horses stood on my foot the week before the race and fractured two toes. So that was an injury which I had to cope with whilst I was running. But I've never had an injury based gained through running. Recovery rates are quite remarkable. If you, if you to say to somebody, you know, you're pretty much hitting the same times and targets that you were when you started your marathon running career that's pretty unusual I do recover very well um I find the the longer I go running the easier I find it strength conditioning that that's all there but more than that for me it's the want and the need to keep going out there the motivation I have to self-motivate I don't run with a running club I don't have a coach I don't have anything like that. I've got to self-motivate and for me Athletics isn't just, or any sport, isn't just about physical well-being. It's about mental well-being as well. You've got to really want to go out there and punish yourself. You've got to really need to be out there and be focused. And that's what 
my veganism that I can probably say has brought to me. It's brought me the mental focus and the desire because I'm not a talented runner. I mean, people, I remember having this kind of kind of tongue-in-cheek argument with Rich Roll when he was interviewing me and I'm saying, no, you say, oh, you're a brilliant runner, you're a talented runner. I'm, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. And I'm not. I really know I'm not because I've actually run against people who are talented and I know that old limp along here is not talented, but I do have an over and above desire to do well. And I think it's almost like kind of the, you know, a parent would say, I want more for my child than I ever want it for myself. And that's a little bit like me. The veganism is my child and I want to do well more for the animals that I desperately want to help than I actually want to just out there getting a trophy or a medal or a time. And I always say I'm not selfish enough to want to train this hard, but I'm selfless enough to want to do it for others. And I feel very blessed and lucky in that. So my mental approach, I know why I'm running. I know why I'm training. I know the goals I want to achieve. They're set in stone. And that's where the veganism helps me because that's the reason that I'm out there. Yeah, that's a really interesting way to look at it. So let's talk about when you're preparing for a race. What does your training schedule look like? And does your diet change in any way? when you're training? Yeah, I mean, not really. My, my diet's a bit whoa, way off the wall. I, I, only, I only actually eat one meal a day. I eat my meal in the evening and I don't really have anything much in between. I've always been kind of reluctant to say that to people because it's like, oh, you need to be doing this and you need to be doing that. So I obviously don't because I've actually won Olympic qualifying 238 in a marathon and I've, I've done it operating like this. And it was only when I went to OMSC, I was invited out to this biggest race in Russia, actually, biggest marathon in Russia. And um, I was speaking to one of the Kenyans, actually. They laid on a big um, IAAS um, luncheon for elite runners and coaches and whatever. And I said to this Kenyan guy, oh, I don't actually eat lunch, so I won't be joining in. And he said, oh, why is that? You know, day before the marathon. I said, I only eat one meal a day. It just suits me. And I thought he was going to, like, look horrified and go into some, like, oh, he said, oh, yes, yes, you're on the warrior diet. And I kind of looked at Yes, that's it. I'm on the worst <laughs> Never having heard this word before. And he said, oh, a lot of the Kenyans do that. I thought, oh, it's good, good enough for the Kenyans. It's good enough for me. And um, it's now apparently quite trendy and it's called intermittent fasting and it's probably yeah. the most effective way of fueling your body. I didn't know that at the time. It just worked with my lifestyle and it just worked for me and I, it just seems to fit in very well with what I do. I always say, I'm not telling or asking people to go and follow exactly what I've done. It's about working with what you've got and what's suits you and I think that's when you're talking about activism there's no one set way of being an activist and when I do my talks and I talk about you know oh and I you know I'm vegan at six and then we got the animal sanctuary and then I went off and broke some world records and I'm not telling everybody right this is what you must get down the estate agent get yourself a sanctuary and get yourself some training it's not about that it's just this is how I've done it it's the model that I've worked, the model of excellence towards what I'm focusing on for the animals. And, you know, you could be just as effective in your daily day-to-day life as, you know, in your workplace just by what you eat on your plate, the choices you make on the plate. You don't have to be full-on, you know, pushing down people's throats all the time. You never know who you're speaking to and who you're affecting by your rhetoric or by your lifestyle choices. And indeed, when I am... Um, I never go to the doctors, but when we uh, moved into the area uh, 20 odd years ago, when we got the sanctuary, I had to register with a new GP and I went to the GP and I told him I was vegan and he said, um, my best advice to you is get a good steak inside yourself. 
And I thought, uh, I don't really want to come back here if I can really help it. But the next time I needed to go to the doctor was to get um, a medical certificate, an ECG for one of the races. The um, Marathon Disabled demands that you have all these medical checks before you go out there. Part of the race entry is repatriation of your body if you die when you're doing the race. So it's quite, you know, it's quite a tough race. So I had to go to a doctor to get an ECG and I decided I couldn't go back to this doctor. So I went to another doctor and in that time of knowing me, she and her family have all gone vegan, basically based on the fact that she kind of wanted to. They were vegetarian, but she wasn't sure that it was the right thing to do. And having followed me over the years, she wrote to me at the back end of last year and said, you know, just wanted to let you know that all the family have now gone vegan and we are loving the life. And it's based on, on your influence over the years I've known you. So you just don't know. You, I mean, I, I didn't think, right, I'm going to go to get this ECG and it's my goal in life to make this doctor vegan. It didn't happen like that. There's all sorts of effective activism that you might you might not even think of as activism um so you know that's kind of my message and um for me um the food has always been the less important thing I, and i kind of qualify that by saying i feel very lucky to live in a country where food in terms of volume and quantity and availability is not an issue we all have enough food so to start stressing about What's the food and what's the flavour? As long as it's vegan for me, I'm not that bothered. It doesn't change that much when I'm training, to be honest with you. And training is always roughly the same. It's always about two hours a day of some sort of running or kind of weight training. I don't really weight train, to be honest with you. I'd be fibbing. People do say you've got a massively developed upper body but that's my weight training is actually just the work I do around the sanctuary so it's um, a split into around about nine sessions over six days three speed sessions I'm training for the Berlin Marathon at the minute so three speed sessions a long run a hill run and a medium run in the week and that's me doing about 100 miles a week every week certainly when I'm training or building up to an event have been doing a lot longer stuff when I was doing you know like Marathon de Sable or the Atacama Crossing I probably run about 140 miles a week but slower I find that difficult to do because of the time I don't really want to be out three and four hours a day I want to be at the sanctuary looking after the animals so it's not that easy for me to just find time on my feet. So I, I prefer to train a bit quicker and just get the job done and then get back out and, and do what, you know, look after the animals or feed up or see to the vet or farriers or whatever's going on in the day. So training is just something that I do. And then once it's done, I forget it, you know, and just move on to something else. Um, it's just a, something I've got to do to get the results I want to in the races. I don't fixate over anything particularly. Yeah, it seems like your success, it's kind of been instinctive, like you've instinctively known what to do. Like we talk, you talked a little bit about the warrior diet and intermittent fasting, which nutritional science is saying now, you know, is really um, important for healing and for yeah. maintaining weight. And But it, it was almost like it was instinctive for you to do that. And perhaps that's worked in your favor for your yeah, athletic abilities. I think that's it. Basically, it's only, I mean, when we got the sanctuary, it was always the idea that I would stay at home and look after the animals and Martin would go to work to pay for it because he was earning far more than I was. And everything, you know, like going vegan at six, it was instinct. The thing that actually pushed us into the dream, into being a reality of having the sanctuary wasn't some sort of legacy or somebody smiled down on me and left me a farm or something and we'd set up. It wasn't any of that. One of the animals that we'd rescued had an accident 
And we knew at that point, we we'd been kind of standing on the edge of a cliff wondering how we were going to jump off, how we were going to make this happen. And it was that one disaster. Oscar had an accident. He was 13 weeks at the vet. I was like in tears and it just pushed us to that life or death. We've got to do something now. It gave us that added impulse to actually make it happen. It literally, I've only been kind of questioning myself because I've been asked questions. I haven't really had definitive answers because there haven't been definitive decisions. It's been gut reactions to situations that you've needed to address at the time. And it's all been done on instinct. And like I say, what opportunity you've got available to you at that time, grabbing it, running with it. So yeah, for instance, with my running, people ask me, well, how do you do this? And how do you do that? And you know, there's all these Garmin's and Stravas and uh, heart rate monitors and things that fancy gadgets that people buy. I've never had any of those things. And I've always said, you have the most sophisticated computer in the world known to man about your person. Learn to use it, your brain. And that's what I've done. And, you know, no amount of bleeping on your wrist with some fancy gadget, that gadget doesn't know that you've, you've just had a very stressful day, that you've got a cold coming on, just constantly bleeping at you. You need to be comfortable within your own skin and learn to know the messages that your body is sending you, learn how to read them and react to them. And that's what I've always done. That's what I tend to do. I don't tend to follow a path of someone else. I tend to ask other people how to do things. I tend to figure out how to do them myself because everybody's circumstances are different. So what might work for one person isn't necessarily going to work for you. So follow your own path in life and learn what works for you best, exclusively for you. And that's, that's all I've ever done. And that's quite refreshing, really, because we're always being told, you know, if you want to be a runner, you have to do this, this and this. There's not mm. that many people that are going to say to you, what do you, <laughs> turn it back on its head and, and say, what do you think? So, yeah, that's very interesting. Well, let's talk about Running for Good. So you were the subject of that film. It was released last year. Can you tell us how that came about yeah. and how that experience has been overall for you? Well, it was really weird, actually, because I didn't know how the film came about until Keegan explained to me how the film came about and how he'd heard of me. And so basically, back in 2013, when Keegan was trying to get together, that's Keegan Coon who made uh, Caspiracy and What the Health, he was actually trying to raise funds to make Caspiracy. And um, I don't have any spare funds, but obviously I heard about the project and I wrote to Keegan and I said, you know, I haven't got massive funds, but if there was anything I could do to promote the film or, you know, raise awareness, because I was doing the world record, I think I'd just done the world record at the time. I would do anything I could to help with this monumental project of his. And Keegan apparently then thought, well, who is this person? He looked at what I was doing and what I'd done in the sanctuary and he kind of thought, crikey, I should be helping this person, not her offering to help me. So um, a couple of years later, when he got a little bit of spare time, he'd been following what I was doing along the way. And he wrote to me and said, you know, hey, I'd really, really like to make my next film. I've just finished What the Hell. My next film I would like to make about you uh, because I've 
done one film about kind of the um, the impact on you know animal agriculture, the cruelty on, on the planet. That was Caspiracy. I've done What the Health, which actually is the negative side of not being vegan. And now I want to do kind of a film about the positive side of being vegan. And, and I kind of thought it was just a wind up at the time. Why would anyone want to make a film about me? And I thought Martin was playing a joke, you know, sending emails from the other room or something. And he said, uh, King said, no, you know, you've been vegan for so long, so you can address the myth that, you know, you built your body mass on plants, basically. So people can't turn around to you and say, ah, but you've only been vegan for five minutes and and you've had the benefits of meat and dairy, because I haven't. He said, you know, you've got the ethical side of it, you've got the sanctuary, you've got the core, you know about the animals, you can address these issues that farmers come back to you, you can address them, you spent your life caring for these animals, you know the ins and outs of all that. And you've also got the world records. And added to this, you were told that you wouldn't walk again properly, let alone run, and you've got your world records in running, even though, I mean, I get doctors writing to me now and saying, you know, seen running for good. I look at your running. I cringe when I think of you trying to run with that injury. How on earth you are doing this? I just don't know. Physically, I can't run downhill. The instability of my knee, having no kneecap, means that I dislocate it a lot, or I could potentially dislocate it a lot. So how I do what I do, I don't know. But Keegan said, you know, whatever you do, you keep doing it. And um, you do it with this constant reminder of veganism is the core of everything you do even when I joined the fire brigade it was like some guy stopped me I was running along and he wound his window down and said you know oh fit and we're looking for firefighters have you ever thought about being a firefighter and no tell me more and I went along to the fire station and he kind of said um you know, this is what we do and, you know, it's retained, you know, it's the community work. And I kind of thought, oh, it, you know, it's something that I can do for extra funds for the animals um, because I can do it when Martin's at home in the evenings or at bank holidays or weekends. But also it gives me the opportunity of um, introducing to an audience veganism, this is back in the early noughties again, that would probably not be terribly au fait or thinking about especially a woman, in the fact I was the only woman at the time, especially a vegan woman in such a kind of physical, male-dominated environment and coping. And I thought, yeah, that's really positive. It brings awareness to issues in a whole audience that would not ever, ever, ever have to address them. So um, veganism is, is at the core center of pretty much everything I do in life. I always try in a way of thinking, can I use this to benefit the animals can I use this in some way proactively in a positive way I don't enjoy negativity I think negativity breeds negativity and anger breeds anger and aggression breeds aggression I don't want that I think you know probably when I was younger yes I wanted to climb to the top of Nelson's column and shout out why can't the world see what I can see does it need a pair of glasses to look through to see the world and what we're doing to the world and and its inhabitants I don't honestly know but now I would rather bring positivity to the table because I think genuinely positivity is greeted with positivity so that's kind of what I do that's just the way I do it it's personal to me and you know it works for me and I have been to various events where a lot of the young people that I speak to say how do you address burnout you know obviously social media I've always felt it's a good servant and a poor master and but there is a lot of stuff on there that sucks people in and if you are predisposed to or you're going through a time where there's a little bit of weakness you can start looking on there you can start to despair and it can spiral into I suppose depression and for me I think the running helps with that because any anger I feel or aggression I feel I can go and run it off 
and that's how I do it. So for me, I don't take downtime. I don't particularly meditate. I don't particularly withdraw from all animal-related issues and focus on myself. I just go and do something completely different, but with the same goal. And that works for me. So I know that if I feel particularly horrified by something that I've seen on social media, as we all do very often, uh, you see things that really get to you for whatever reason, something might just trigger you and it'll push you over the edge. I know that, that I think, okay, pull yourself together, go out, train hard because when you get to that start line and you've got potential of winning that race or showing veganism in its all its glory, showing people exposing the truth, they can't ignore it. If you're out there in your vegan runner vest, up the front, winning races or whatever, that's the way I kind of work through the kind of, I suppose, burnout. And um, I haven't burned out yet, and I've been almost five decades vegan. So, you know, that's what I would like to share with the world. Now, I think um, the longevity side of it is very important to me, and the sustainability and viability now is very, very important to me. And, you know, if people are considering, you know, okay, we go vegan now, but we might keel over in two years, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. You're going to be healthier and fitter. And most people who have gone plant-based that I have engaged with have said their only regret is that they didn't find out earlier. They didn't find out the truth and apply it earlier. Yeah, exactly. You hear that so often from people. And all of the profits from uh, running for good go towards the animal sanctuary. That's right, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So um, the running for good was made specifically to to benefit the sanctuary, and everything actually goes to the sanctuary. I mean, for instance, anything I get from my running. When we, Martin and I, we pretty much all our own money goes into the animal sanctuary, and my mum's. It all goes into the sanctuary. And I remember once I was at the House of Lords, and I was getting an award, and somebody from a big charity came over to me and said, "You know, oh, you know, what are you here for?" And I said, "Oh, I'm here to collect this award." And he said, "You know, oh, what for?" And I said, "I've got this sanctuary." And he's saying, "You know, how do you pay for all that?" And I'm kind of telling him about Martin's salary and my firefighting money and what I get from my running and you know the free advertising I get through the running and my mum's pension. And his jaw is literally dropping to the floor. And he kind of looked at me and said, what, you put your own money in? And I said, well, of course I do. I couldn't accept anyone else's generosity unless I could tell them that I was 100% financially, physically, spiritually, mentally invested in it myself. And he walked away from me and he just said, I think you're crazy and walked off. But that's honestly the way we do it. So, yeah, I mean, anything anybody donates to the sanctuary goes directly to what they meant it to go to, which is the animals. It doesn't go in hidden kind of, oh, hidden costs of, you know, admin or vehicle running or anything like that. It just goes to the animals because that's where it should go. And that's morally where I feel best placed. I like to do everything right. It's all for the animals. There's nothing, mm-hmm. nothing in it for us at all. It's just them. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. And I would say very rare for a charity, as you can tell from that mm. man's reaction. If people would like to support you, what's the best way that they can do that, whether it's for the animal sanctuary or for your vegan outreach activities? Whichever people feel that is most, I mean, some people, you know, say, you know, that sanctuaries aren't the answer. And I can see that point. Sanctuaries aren't the answer. We need to stop animals needing to find sanctuary. But Unfortunately, sanctuaries in the meantime are needed and um, they are very, very expensive to run. So either through donating to the sanctuary, Tower Hill Stables Animal Sanctuary, or through the Fiona Oaks Foundation, which I use for the outreach that I do, either is more than more than appreciated. Um, But it doesn't always, I mean, people, you know, are not always in a position to help financially. So, I mean, obviously, the currency today tends to be 
social media. Um, so if anybody wants to help me with that, because that is something I do sadly like experience with. Um, I don't get a lot of time for, I don't really have a lot of inclination for in terms of, you know, I've always got like a million other things to do. It's not second nature to me to go out and take selfies and pictures. People can help, you know, just sharing the stuff that I put on social media or indeed help us with the admin social media. Fundraise for the sanctuary, outreach for the sanctuary. One lady does talking in um, in Leeds for the sanctuary so she literally goes and chalks on you know pavements about running for good there's so many great ideas that people have it doesn't always have to be just about money obviously we we need I don't ask for anybody's money for myself but unfortunately the vets the farriers the feed and forage merchants they do need to be paid but there's a million and one best thing to do is just contact if you've got an idea or you just want to chat or you want to come and see the sanctuary see the animals and then work out the best way that you could help then that's great just get in touch I mean people say oh will you see emails or we, yeah yeah we do all it all, all ourselves so I say you know whether it be the Fiona Oates Foundation or on Instagram or on Twitter or whatever I will see the message because I'll be the one kind of sitting there at 11 o'clock at night sort of answering so yeah just get in touch and any help sometimes just the messages I get of support you know I've seen Running for Good it's fantastic you've really inspired me thank you so much that means so much more to me because motivating and inspiring yourself it can be quite difficult at times you get very very tired so just actually connecting with other people who are like-minded does actually mean so much it's actually more than money can buy to sometimes know that you're not alone in this world and that there are other people that think like you and want to change the world for the better that's so uplifting it really is so uplifting and I know I do get invited quite a lot to talk in schools which is a great opportunity not so much about veganism but I can introduce the vegan diet through through the running you know showing kids pictures of like the North Pole and Antarctica and the desert and Everest and what they love that but actually it's really great to see their reaction and you know they'll come over and they'll ask questions and that's really really inspiring for me because it does give you hope that there is a future I kind of said to people you know I think that as a planet we're facing very great challenges uh, the population um, animals the climate we're in a mess at the moment and you know for me trucking trying to use the same old tired models to address these problems which is kind of money and it's not the answer we need to start thinking differently as a species and we need to start considering others and their needs first because until we do I don't think we can change I don't think we can stop the problems accelerating at this exponential rate you know the climate change and you know the unfair distribution of wealth around the planet animal agriculture is the first step but it certainly can't be the last step but it's the immediate step that I think would make the biggest difference more than kind of not using carrier bags or working on you know in 25 we're going to have a car which can run on corn oil or something animal agriculture would be the immediate thing that we can do to slow down the problems and then I think it needs to come we need to start thinking about the our actions and their impact on others rather than just the impact on ourselves individually that's wow. most important so seeing it from the young people for me is great it's fantastic um i'm afraid that's all we've got time for now but fiona it's been a true pleasure to speak with you and so inspiring thank you so much for your dedication and the tireless effort that you put into making a difference for the animals and for people as well thank you so much and thank you so much for welcoming me on your show thank you so much 
been a pleasure. If you've been inspired by this podcast and you'd like to help support the work that Fiona is doing, either via Tower Hill Stable Sanctuary or Fiona's outreach work, you'll find all the information you need in her bio in today's email. This includes links to her social media channels and Patreon fund- fundraising pages. Finally, thank you for being one part of the One Bite Vegan Summit. Remember, one bite is all it takes to make a change. Thank you for listening and being part of the One Bite Vegan Summit. Be sure to keep up to date with the latest One Bite Vegan online events and free resources, including the One Bite Vegan blog and digital magazine by connecting with us via our website, onebitevegan.com. Remember, one bite is all it takes to make a change.